so yeah, I think even Antonio Conte, for all his talent and his his ability to get a tune out of a side quickly, I think even he would struggle with that. He might, I don't know. We know Antonio Conte loves his uh, senior citizens. He might like revive Nemanja Matic, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I That I think is even a touch too far. Antonio um, Conte necromancy, just... <laughs> Welcome to Hardcore Football. It's your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, we're back. We're back. Took a little break because our, I'm sure if you saw on Twitter, our our beloved El Paso Locomotive, our local team, hashtag support local, <laughs> they've, uh, <laughs> they've been playing a lot, like every three, four days. So we were a little preoccupied with that, but we're here. Yeah. And uh, ready to talk the craziness from this weekend. Yeah. Tons. Gosh. Like, there was a lot of craziness this weekend, too. Like, this this weekend seemed in particular, like, just like, I don't know. It was, it was chaos. It was chaos. You know, there was a lot of, like, a lot of the... The the fixtures that I thought would really, like, live up to their billing didn't. And the ones that I wrote off were madness right right <laughs> so that's so true sure we'll get into it but that's kind of how i felt no that's absolutely true um yeah the the perfect example being uh you know sunday was this mad day of tons of derbies tons of like massive massive fixtures across the the uh major five leagues in europe and i'm thinking like oh nice this this kickoff like between Nice and uh Leon, like this'll be a nice little like intro to the day and we'll just see how this Appetizer. goes. You know, should be a should be a kind of cagey affair. We'll see how how it is. No, three two, let last last second winner from Nice, like <laughs> can y'all like <laughs> chill for one second? Absolutely not. So yeah, the whole weekend was was that all the games that we thought would be would be crazy weren't really except <laughs> a couple that we'll get into we're we're st- we'll start in the premier league we'll talk Serie A where every manager in the league decided to just lose his head and then uh la liga league <laughs> one and um we'll answer your listener questions along the way so thanks to everyone who sent those in um from the admin side uh before we get started if you're finding us for the first time hardcore football you can find us on all the major podcast platforms and you can find us on twitter at hxc football so be sure to follow along um and uh we talk about basically everything that goes on like in the world's game like we comment on everything (laughs) essentially nothing's really off limits so um (laughs) that's the benefit of uh, being detached. Like in this way, we just like, we just talk about what's interesting. So um, anyways, uh, without further ado, Mika, I mean, there's really only one way to kick this pot off. Yeah, we got to do it. (laughs) Just United nil Liverpool five. I'll let you start. I'm sure you've got a a soliloquy for us yes. about your <laughs> beloved Reds rocking up to Old Trafford and absolutely 
destroying Manchester United Football Club. (laughs) I have a reasoned take on this, like to follow, but I'm going to start with my, my biased and like my Liverpool fan side of this. Cause I have, I have the, the takes for the discussion later. The floor is yours, but I mean, I'll keep it pretty short and sweet. Like this is something that when I think back to some of the games and obviously there are much longer suffering Liverpool fans than, than me. Um, like I started following the team in Oh five. Um, there was a long period of not getting shit from games at old Trafford, like knowing that it was a black hole, like, Hey, let's hope that we can just maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll nick one. Maybe we'll like grab a draw something like it was just absolutely, you did not go to old Trafford and, and win. And the, you know, the game that a lot of people have been referencing recently because of this result is the game in 2009 um, when, you know, it was the four one and Vidic had an absolutely like torrid time Torres, you know, rips him apart and uh, Vidic ends up getting sent off later in the game for a, for a second yellow and uh, like all the, all these things. Um, This sort of match where 11 V 11 Liverpool dismantled, Manchester United without really getting into like their, their final form, if you will, like to use an Ibrahima Kanate, uh, like Liverpool without, without really hitting their highest level, absolutely tore apart this United side. And it was something as a Liverpool fan that like, when I flash back to the Alex Ferguson years, I just think like, this could never, I wouldn't have in my wildest dreams thought that Liverpool could have done something like this. Um, and even in the years where Liverpool have been the better team on paper, typically like going to Old Trafford and getting a result is still a battle. Like it's still, so it's not a given. Even in the title winning year, they drew 1-1 at Old Trafford. It was a late Adam Lallana goal that, that grabbed uh I think they drew nil nil after Christmas, right? I I don't know if that was at Old Trafford or, or at Anfield, but I mean, yeah, there was a nil nil. Yeah, recently. it's just like they're they are tough games, and the fact that Liverpool strolled to a five nil, it's something that I just never would have imagined. And as a Liverpool fan, like I find myself like it's been a struggle, and I know like United fans are on Twitter who follow me. I apologize, like. I know you guys are getting fed up, but like this is making up for, I mean, Alex Ferguson's era was so horrible for Liverpool in so many ways, like so many titles for United, so many like matches at Old Trafford that were just, you know, easy three points basically for United, like swatting Liverpool away. And this was something that I just never imagined. The sounds at halftime, 4-0, the boos that rang out at Old Trafford were like choirs of angels to me. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I, I've never experienced a, a, 
a match like that. Like 70 or, you know, whatever, 60 minutes. Liverpool's passing the ball around just like because United are down to 10 and down five goals. And we're just passing the ball around just to like because there's no point in like pushing it any further. It's unfathomable to like five years ago or or 10 years ago, Phil like watching Liverpool at Old Trafford. It's just like beyond belief. I mean, hey, and it, and it shows in the way that you're kind of still talking about it days later. And I see some <laughs> of our mutual friends who support Manchester United kind of like, hey, man, like we get it. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's historic. It's historic. And those years were, you know, pretty barren <laughs> going to, up to Manchester trying to get a result um, as a neutral I didn't even bother with this match. I, 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 well, until I saw what was transpiring that I turned it on to see like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I figured like, you know what? I sat through that nil, nil last January and I was really annoyed. Cause like these things, you know, they can be cagey because yeah. neither team wants to lose. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, prioritized other matches <laughs> to be fair. And actually, I thought either it would be a nil-nil or Liverpool would win. I didn't think they'd win by this much. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anyone could have... I mean, I don't know. I guess you could foresee it because the way that Manchester United played against Atalanta was concerning. Yeah. Um, you know, they had to rescue that one as well. And, and there were pundits out there saying, you know, if they play like this against Liverpool, it's it's curtains. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess in that way it is foreseeable. But even still, when you see 5 nil you know, that that's insane. Um, but yeah, I, I think too, as a, as a neutral, I, I agree. I think Liverpool weren't really that great. Like they were, they were opportunistic, you know, and, and, and Manchester United did have, uh, some opportunities. I think in the first 20 minutes, like, you know, they had shots, they had, they had looks. Uh, I think Liverpool's defense still, you know, I think, there's improvement to, to be had there. Kanate sure. comes in, obviously, I think, to deal with the pace that Manchester United have. I think that, you know, he justified his selection, but they had chances and <laughs> it just fell away from them. And then they start to, you know, the next phase of that was them starting to take it out on Liverpool with some of these shocking challenges. I mean, like violent stuff really yeah. uh that i can't believe who was it anthony taylor i think was refereeing who yeah. who's from greater manchester so i i don't know how that works but um, don't worry about it he's an ultra chum ultra chum fan so he's yeah, not he's I, not yeah, a united fan i'm sure yeah growing <laughs> up in manchester in the 80s right <laughs> he supports <laughs> the national league north side like <laughs> yeah but look I, it's I, I don't know. I almost think he maybe felt bad for United and pitied them. <laughs> and then doing that and in doing so, he, he let a couple clear red cards go. Um, the one that was the most disgusting to me was Ronaldo's. Cause that's, you know, yeah. already after the whistle, the, you know, there's red cards that are like in, in play, like Pogba's, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's a horrible challenge, but at least that's like, part of the game, right? Ronaldo's literally just kicking Curtis Jones because <laughs> he's pissed and uh, the whistle gone. So it's just like, uh, yeah, I hate, I hate to see that kind of stuff, but yeah. I mean, it just shows how, how 
in in their heads <laughs> Liverpool were uh, to, Jones to on the end out of, like that. Jones was on the end of two of them too because it was Fernandes like flew into him uh, like two minutes into the second half. Um, right, yeah, that's and right. And then, uh, and yeah, the he gets kicked by Ronaldo too. But um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's an unbelievable result. <laughs> like I, I don't even know how else to describe it. I mean, let's talk, I guess, about Mosala's hat trick because this man is like automatic right now. And you yeah. and I discussed earlier in the week that I think, or that we think that people are maybe psychologically on some level underrating him in a way because of his exploits when he first came back to the Premier League, uh, you know, and scored 40 something goals. Yeah. Um, even though ever since then he's been racking up elite numbers as well. I think people are, are not giving him his due. I think, well, people are starting to say now and recognize that, yeah, he's the best player in the world right now, but he was fantastic. Just, amazing he yeah I think I think he's in a way like part of what we talked about that brief conversation we had on on Twitter uh I guess like yesterday (laughs) was that Salah comes in and has this this crazy first season back in the Premier League um and a lot of people are pointing like oh it's unsustainable it's not like yeah, it's a, a, an incredible season, but there's no way that he keeps this up. And I mean, the fact of the matter is that he's had, you know, over 20 Premier League goals in every single season, but one. And in the one where he only had 19 Premier League goals, he had 10 assists in the Premier League. So he was like at, you know, just elite uh, goal involvement numbers um, where he's getting close to a goal involvement, a game in every single season for now five full seasons. Like this will be his fifth full season um, back in England. And I just, the reality of the situation is right now, the system and, and the way that Liverpool are playing and the new patterns. And I think that's the th- biggest thing that I want to acknowledge about um, the work that that Klopp and, and Liverpool's coaching staff have done this year is they've refreshed the way that this that this attack interacts because it had become I think there was this point where during the offseason a lot of people are saying like well they got to refresh they need new blood they can't like keep doing the same thing because everybody knows exactly what they're trying to do um, and I think the way that they've actually well, blooded in Jota, but also even when it is, you know, the the front three of, of the last five years, like Mane, Firmino, and Salah, they've come up with new ways for this attack to interact and new ways to link up, new patterns. Uh, the fullbacks are underlapping more frequently. There's like a lot of different wrinkles to this attack that now are just putting Salah into the perfect situations where he's most dangerous. And he also is, he's been absolutely unbelievably elite at reading the, reading the game state, like reading the situation. And this team is so in tune. And I think you see it on his third most, most like notably um, when Henderson wins the ball off Pogba and Salah is off. Like Salah is running in behind 
without any sort of prompt, without any sort of like he knows innately that the second that Hendo goes in for that challenge, he's making a run. Um, now the pass from pass. Henderson is like <laughs> unbelievable, just like absolutely world class. Steven Gerrard makes a similar pass against Fulham in in 2013-14 um, that a lot of Liverpool fans point to as like one of the best passes they've ever seen. Um, this is this is on par, like absolutely unbelievable. Um, and uh, but Salah like innately knows to make that run innately knows that they're going to try to find him with that pass. Um, and then he gets on the end of it and kind of draws De Gea out with actually a bad touch, like a little bit of a bad first touch, like pulls De Gea in to get chipped. So yeah, Mosala is just absolutely flying at the moment. And I don't know that it's one of those situations where it feels very much like his first season in that everything he touches is turning to gold at the moment. Um, but I wanted to acknowledge the fact that the system does play a part because we talk about United and, and Liverpool in this, in this game and Liverpool dominating despite not like you're watching the game and you're like, there's nothing that Liverpool are doing individually. That is absolutely spectacular. There's no like, uh, Salah aside like he's obviously a great finisher and everything but there's no moment where I'm sitting there thinking like oh my god this is just like transcendent or whatever like they're playing football from a different planet or whatever it was just the starkest contrast between a team that absolutely has a system and understands the system they're playing and as a unit executes it brilliantly versus a team that has absolutely no idea what they want to do or how they want to play. And that was like, that was the easiest way for me to internalize is like, okay, well it doesn't look brilliant from Liverpool, like on an individual level, it doesn't seem like they're playing at this higher level. It's just the system being so ingrained and so well executed that it's naturally leading them like to this, like waltzing to this dominant win because they're playing against a team that is just absolutely clueless. Like every player <laughs> out there had, they just didn't know what they wanted to do. And they, and like the system is just non-existent at United. And that leads to now the questions, you know, um, of the manager, which have intensified um, after, you know, they've already been there for a while, but <laughs> this just, it felt like, the exposure of the fact that, Hey, like we've added all these world-class players, but there is just no real system at United right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you speak of the questions, we got questions naturally <laughs> about this one. Um, you want to read off the first one? Yeah. Uh, Pat Ariola at Ariola Patrick on Twitter asks only out for man, you new coach in, Will things get better or will the mediocrity slide eventually uh, degenerate into the trap door within touching distance? Do you think like basically if Ollie's out, I think it's making an assumption because as far as we know, he hasn't been sacked yet. As far as we know. Yeah. And the <laughs> rumblings are that the, the, um, the United board are saying he's he's safe for now. Yeah. Um, will things get better? I guess. 
I, if this is rock bottom, then you logically you think that it would. Um, <laughs> and, and Manchester United very well could win their next couple games. I mean, sure. You know, it's that's the way the Premier League is this season. I think yeah. it's it's still trying to rebound to some normality after what was a really weird season with COVID and all that. And sure. um, we know that Ole has been able to bounce back before from really shocking ones. Now this is different, obviously getting beat at home by your biggest rival five nil is, and with fans back, you know, that's yeah. certainly a, a, I don't even know, a, a marker, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. um, for him. Um, it depends on who comes in, I think, right? Um, and I guess that leads into to uh, at Ramen Cole's question. Can you talk about at Cool Fernie's favorite team and is Conte, <laughs> Antonio Conte, the right guy? Um, what do you think about that? Because that, that is the obvious, I guess, name out there that's available right now. Everyone's talking about Antonio Conte to Manchester United. Do you think that's sensible? I mean, I think in terms of somebody who is able to come in and sort elite pieces, I mean, he did it at Chelsea. Like, he he came in, sorted what was an elite group of players and turned them into title winners, you know, immediately. Like, that. <laughs> so he is capable of doing that. Um, I think the problem with United. And I mean, you raised, you raised this on Twitter earlier today is the, um, the imbalance of this United side, which was on full display in, in Sunday's match four two four. like no matter how you slice it, there's only two midfielders in that side. He plays four strikers, Rashford, Greenwood, Ronaldo, <laughs> and I mean, Fernandes is a you know ostensibly it, it, a ten, but yeah. he plays as a second striker really for this United side. So like, or a you know whatever a, a fault fault whatever you want to say, but he plays shadow striker, shadow striker yeah. like he's he's not a traditional like playmaking ten, um, and so I just think about the fact that like. Conte's first demand will be that he needs to go out and invest, which this United side has already poured (laughs) hundreds of millions of pounds into the side that doesn't have better options than uh, Scott McTominay and Fred at central midfield. Like that is, that's the reality. So I just think, I think Conte's demands will be investment. And I'll be honest, like I think the Glazers are, stalling because I don't think that they want to enter another round of investment in this side, like given the amount they've spent on it already. Um, but Conte will demand it and won't like, he's not taking a job that he doesn't feel like he has the backing of the board. He literally won the title with inter got told that they were going to do some budget cuts and left immediately. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to agree with everything there and the, other, you, you know, expounding further on my kind of point about imbalance that I spoke with Mikey, who's an Inter fan, knows Conte really well. Yeah. Um, I think anyone would struggle with the imbalance in this squad uh, without further investment, obviously. Um, I think it's a dereliction of duty, honestly. I think it's negligence that they've gone out and spent this much money. They brought back Ronaldo in to spite Manchester City and not bought 
the defensive midfielder that they've been crying out for for yeah. years. Um, I think it's ridiculous, honestly. I mean, that midfield is a shambles. <laughs> um, and, and that's not to say that Mc, you know, Scott McTominay and Fred aren't good players. They can be good players. And um, I think used correctly, they're, they're serviceable for sure. I don't know if they're United level. That's that's a whole nother discussion. I don't watch United as much to make that that call. But neither sure. of them are a real holding midfielder, a real like Declan Rice or maybe even Calvin Phillips, like someone that conceivably could play in this United midfield and and improve them drastically. Yeah, because that that backline has no protection <laughs> um, or uh, inadequate protection. I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just the fact that they have not addressed that, but meanwhile, they've spent loads on Jaden Sancho, who they've been chasing for years, to be fair, you know, um, Cavani, Ronaldo, Fernandes, who's been, a, you know, a success to be fair, but I mean, just all these pieces have come in and Donnie just further Van de Beek. Yeah. Who <laughs> he, he also, he was assigning that that you make because he's available. And I get it. I get why they did that. Cause when a player like that comes on the market, even if you don't need him, if he's available, like I can see why a really moneyed club like Manchester United would be like, ah, what the hell? Yeah. Get him in. Sure. So that he's an option for us and our rivals don't have him Cause he's, he's a very good player coming out of that IX team that, that, you know, did wonders in the champions league that season. I get it. He was on the market by him, but I mean, yeah, he hasn't played in what? Like, two years or something. I don't know if it's that long, but I mean, he's not, he doesn't figure in this squad and he's not the answer either. Um, so yeah, I think even Antonio Conte for all his talent and his, his ability to get a tune out of a side quickly. I think even he would struggle with that. He might, I don't know. We know Antonio Conte loves his uh, senior citizens. He might like revive Nemanja Matic, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I That I think is even a touch too far. Antonio um, Conte necromancy just. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get why he's, he's linked because he is the, the big name out there that's available. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is. I, I, if I'm a Manchester United fan, I wouldn't want the, the club to take that decision, you know, that uh, knee-jerk decision to hire him. Because yeah. he will demand investment, which, to be fair, he can demand that. He wins things. He's yeah. an elite manager. Um, and, and yeah, so they may need to buy their time a little bit longer to see who becomes available or figure out what it is they want this side to be Yeah. Uh, before they sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I will say though that I, I I don't know. I never like to really like call for people's jobs. I think it's kind of like fucked up, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but um in Ole's case, like I think I think he is out of his depth to be fair. I think <laughs> he's been running on vibes for quite a while now and his yeah. tactical shortcomings have been laid bare by elite managers. And it's it's interesting because he used to kind of play these bigger games somewhat okay, like where he yeah. was set up in like a counter-attacking mode, but I think he felt like he's got more like talent now, like Ronaldo's there, like maybe we can go for it, and it just didn't work. I mean, when I talk of tactical, you know, inac- inadequacy, I think of United's press or what they call a press yesterday. I mean, there were yeah. like 
players pressing alone, which is just a waste of energy, to be honest. Yeah. Because if you press by yourself, you'll just get bypassed and no yeah. one's supporting you. Now you're stranded up the pitch because no one helped you. Yeah. And now the other side, now Liverpool or whoever they're playing has a, has a you know, numerical advantage because you just pressed by yourself for no reason. It, you know, it, there's just so many things about the way that United played that are just like this. Any any competent manager would sort it out quickly. I mean, we saw Tuchel come into Chelsea and sort that out in one training session. Yeah. <laughs> like it's these players are way too good to be playing like this. But even so, the squad imbalance, I think, is is just something that anyone would struggle with anyone who took the job. So there was a weird dynamic that emerged to um, in that. I noticed watching the game on Sunday, like when United had the ball in their own half, especially when they were trailing, like once they were trailing um, the crowd started to get really restless and like started to kind of like moan and groan about them passing it around the back <laughs> Um, when obviously like part of Liverpool's thing is they're going to press high up the field and they're going to make it tough for United to like find ways out. Um, but it made me kind of think that there might be some, like at first I always think that it's a little bit of a cop out when a manager says like, Oh, well the, the fans expect me to play a certain way, blah, blah, blah. I always find that to be a little bit of a cop out. Cause it's like, you're the manager, like you're paid to make the tough decisions and like who gives a fuck what the fans think. Like you're paid to get results. And like, ultimately nobody gives a shit. If you're, if you're playing counterattacking football, if you're winning, like, right. Like prove them wrong. Um, but there was a weird vibe in Old Trafford where, like, especially once they were trailing, it was, like, basically, like, what are you doing passing it around the back? Um, when they're trying to get Liverpool to press up so they can, like, actually play in behind them. Um, the problem being, obviously, that Liverpool's press is extremely organized and, like, the way that they press in packs is the polar opposite to what United were doing. Um, and... So, yeah, it was just like a strange dynamic where I'm, th- I'm like, maybe United fans are just like a different breed in terms of, I mean, they've had this extended period of being the best club in England and one of the largest clubs on earth. Um, like maybe there is a level of intensity around like style of play that that maybe other clubs don't face. But um, but the the problem with, as you said, like the problem with United's press, and I think the the biggest problem with United's press is, yes, they were pressing alone, but when you look about, I mean, we we said on this podcast at the beginning of the season, we talked about transfers and we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo's return and the fact that like, hey, this might not actually be a good thing for United tactically. This, to me, is like the barest example of the Ronaldo transfer breaking what could have been a functional United side. Like if you want to play like the reality for Ali Gunnar Solskjaer is like, if he wants to play a pressing style, Ronaldo's not part of it. Like Ronaldo is not pressing. He's not going to do it. He presses less than like any attacker on earth um, because he conserves his energy to get in the box and get on the end of headers and make those 93rd minute leaps so that he can like, hug the referee at the end of the match and fall to his knees and 
celebrate and do everything for the cameras, <laughs> whatever. Like that, it, he is this like prime time type player. He will not, he will not press. But, and I mean, and I guess in all actuality, like I'm being harsh on Ronaldo, but Greenwood or yeah, Mason Greenwood also didn't press. Marcus Rashford also didn't press. Like Bruno Fernandes was the only player that was running around. But it was really well, just Marcus Rashford. He did try to press a couple times, and again, he pressed by himself and got yeah. completely passed around. Yeah, and you're so. trying to press too, like <laughs> Virgil Van Dyke and Trent Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson, Ibrahima Konate. Even like these are very good passers of the ball who are very calm on the ball. <laughs> like if you press them alone, they are not phased. Like they get pressed by like five people in training every single day. <laughs> Like they're getting run at by, by everybody. So yeah, I just, I just think it was one of those where it was just like, it was just so shocking in the approach. And the reality of the situation is if you are going to employ Ronaldo, like you have to understand what that means and it will break your press. Like you are not, you're not getting a press out of that guy. Like if you're not, you're you're not getting a press out of that guy. And for good reason, you don't want, Ronaldo pressing right that's the like other side to this yeah. is you don't buy him for that right you buy him to score the late goals you buy him to finish moves and you know there's this debate now going uh, you know in modern football can a team really carry a player uh, you know the, uh, reasonable minds could differ on that I think yeah. um, I think if this Manchester United side was better coached and did have a coordinated press, except Ronaldo, it could maybe work. Yeah. You know, because um, we, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think it just laid bare how not smart tactically assigning this was for the phase of development that this Manchester United is in. That's a signing you make when you're just trying to put the cherry on top, like Juventus tried to do. Yeah. Um, which that also didn't work, but that's neither here nor there because because um. <laughs> Sancho Sancho Greenwood Rashford or Sancho Fernand Rashford like that's a pressing front three like those are those are the types of players that could they could absolutely do that form job. an effective yeah. pressing front like and For sure. I mean Sancho did it in, in Dortmund like he was part of that Right. So, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> no, yeah. It's. Yeah. Sorry if this is tough listening for Manchester United fans. I think, you know, the bright side, I guess. I don't think there's any bright side from this fixture itself. But just generally speaking, like with the amount of money that's been spent, I think. I think eventually even the Glazers are going to want some return on their investment. And so yeah. I think they'll have to eventually get someone in who can make this all work and put it all together and buy a defensive midfielder for Christ's sake. Just one, <laughs> maybe two, maybe two. So you have a backup, but no, yeah. I, uh, yeah, the, um, and I guess the decent news for Liverpool coming out of this is it looks like the injury to Nabi Keita is, is not as, as bad as once feared, which, um, I, I do love like if he wasn't really that hurt and he went off on a stretcher, like I I applaud the the extra ness of that. <laughs> <laughs> um 
But no, uh, Nabi Nabi had probably one of his best games for Liverpool. He's, he was excellent. Um, yeah. Goal and an assist, pressed well throughout, and uh, and was probably like one of the bright spots of an otherwise like solid Liverpool performance, but not you know necessarily like blowing the doors off anybody. Um, him and Firmino, I thought were were kind of the uh, the ones who who came off like just performing extremely well, but Keita, you know, on the end of the first goal and then, uh, and assists Salah's first. So, um, right. so yeah, solid, solid game for, for Nabi Keita, who's finally getting some level of consistency in, in the starting 11 and a couple of goals now scored in the champions league in midweek and then scores at old Trafford. So the Wanda and old Trafford in one week, that's not bad for a goal scoring midfielder. Um, but, um, we had a uh, as we as we move off of this game, obviously the biggest one of the weekend. But we we didn't really have a chance to address the the this whole business at Newcastle United and old money versus new money in the Premier League, which was a question we had from Harry at Ramincole on Twitter. You know, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the new money from Newcastle United and the old money in the Premier League. Um, I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on this in and of itself, <laughs> but. Um, right. But your your thoughts on the um, the PIF the the Saudi Arabia uh, sovereign wealth funds takeover of uh, of Newcastle United and how it how it fits into this uh, what you know there's a lot of money in the Premier League how's how are you feeling about this addition? Yeah, um, I know Harry linked a a video to a discussion on this. I'm, I apologize, Harry. I didn't get a chance to to watch it but yeah i mean it's it's grim what can i say i think it's grim that that uh, a state that has well documented human rights abuses on the record can just swoop in and and buy a storied historic huge football club an institution newcastle united is an institution um you know on one hand i totally understand the fans being jubilant because mike ashley was uh, by their accounts, a terrible owner. Um, and, you know, s- seemed like he had contempt for the fans and contempt for the club and, and all this, and wasn't really interested in their long-term success. So it seems so on, on that side, I kind of understand why the fans are happy. And can you really, I think fans absolutely can have a moral stance on this and they should, because mm-hmm. we're thinking human beings. Right. But at the same time, um, they don't really get to control who owns owns their club. So, you know, in that way, it's kind of complex, I think. But um, what I don't have time for is people dressing in like traditional, like Arab garb and like celebrating in that way. Like that to me is just like the most, like, what are you doing? Like, stop. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a lot. Like, I I don't even want to know what Jamal Khashoggi's wife feels seeing that. (laughs) must be extremely bleak. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's times are changing and they're changing quick and Newcastle United, you know, they, this takeover, the Premier league says that they were given quote, legally binding assurances that the public investment fund will not be controlled by the Saudi state, which I don't understand how that could possibly be a thing because they are literally the government, Saudi government's in, you know, sovereign wealth fund. the, The head of it is, the head of state or one of them at least. That's, so I don't know what yeah. legally binding assurances 
they receive that would make them think otherwise that, that the Saudi state is not going to be directly controlling Newcastle United. But I guess that's neither here nor there because the deal is done and um, Newcastle United fans are expecting some investment in January and, and beyond. Um, Steve Bruce is already out the door. And uh, yeah, it's it's changing really quickly on Tyneside. Part of part of the concern around this was actually something that's been like a little bit of an ongoing topic with the financial fair play investigation at Manchester City. And uh, that was like internal sponsorships or uh, sponsorship deals with companies that or entities that are involved with the ownership. Um, This came to light most, you know, most most starkly with uh Etihad uh, Airlines and Manchester City because Etihad is the airline is owned by the brother-in-law, I think, of uh, Sheikh Mansour, who's the primary owner of Manchester City. And they said basically that the sponsorships that they were getting weren't they weren't paying fair market value for the sponsorships. And they were always top of the pile in terms of the amount of sponsorship revenue that they were generating. And it's like, was this actual market value? Well, Newcastle had immediately proposed the, or the PIF had immediately proposed that the shirt sponsor for Newcastle would be vision 2030, which is an initiative of the PIF um, in their investment in the Saudi Arabian state and diversifying their, uh, economic portfolios and all of these things. So essentially the premier league took a vote immediately to block this, um, because it was as bold of a move as, as they could have possibly made, which is essentially we're going to use this arm of the PIF to fund Newcastle United so that we can beat financial fair play laws. Um, and, uh, so the, the premier league voted almost unanimously to block it. Um, the only two clubs that voted in, well, Newcastle voted in favor and Manchester city abstained from the vote. (laughs) The other 18 clubs, I'm just not going to speak on that. (laughs) (laughs) The other 18 clubs all voted. No. Mm. Okay. And so it was, it was blocked. Um, by the league. And, and I think that's why this, you know, Newcastle United versus everybody sort of narrative is starting to emerge. But the reality of the situation is I think the premier league is wise to how like the, the financial mechanisms that people will use to, you know, defeat the, (laughs) the supposed safeguards that are, that are supposed to be in place for, you know, some level of competitive balance and, making sure that clubs are being run responsibly and uh, ultimately, yeah, this is, they, they took a page straight out of um, city football groups book uh, right out the gate and were blocked. And um, I think the reality of the, of the situation is that we just have to understand that we are getting like the most, um, it's we are into a level of sports washing and and like trying to launder political reputations via sport um in 
this is the starkest example, um, even even beyond that of of uh, UAE and and Qatar up till now. Yeah, yeah, reputation laundering for sure. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure that the uh, Manchester Cities and and uh, Uniteds of the world are are looking at this and are very worried <laughs> that somebody can shake up their hegemony. You know, that's what led to the Super League is they wanted to consolidate that power and, and create a walled garden. And now now that this kind of thing has come to pass, I wonder if they'll try to revive those talks or come up with some other different competition and, and keep people out. Or maybe they'll invite Newcastle United this time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> as long but, as Saudi uh, Arabia is in illegally broadcasting BN Sport, um then right. they may they may be fine right. with it. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> well, looking looking across the rest of the Premier League for that for uh, the match day, your club Arsenal got a nice three one win against Villa. Solid performance. Yeah, solid performance, and we haven't lost in a good little while, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> The stratification of the table is fascinating, though, because I feel like we get a good result. And it's like, have we even moved? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but we keep going. I'm, I, you know, I'm enjoying watching Mikel Arteta's sensational arsenal. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of new players, and it was a really good result. And Villa were like weirdly poor. So, yeah. despite the fact yeah. that they've been good in most games that they played this season, yeah, you guys really, yeah played them off the park almost. Um, Chelsea, Chelsea had a, a pretty striking result in the, in the number of goals scored seven uh, nil over Norwich, but this felt way more like the death knell of Norwich, like versus any sort of statement from Chelsea. For sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, seven nil is always a nice result to have, but I think Norwich are just so poor and they're just like, I, I had backed them to do a little bit better this time around, but clearly not. Um, they, I don't know. They just, I can't even tell you how they reinvested the Buendia money. Like, cause it, it certainly is not showing in any palpable way. They've bought a bunch of like, okay players that are probably championship level players. And that's where they'll be headed at this, you know, <laughs> at this time. So they're prepping for the next season back in the championship. <laughs> um, we had a couple of results that were like the teams that teams that play really good football and maybe deserve more than what they've gotten so far this season uh, getting denied again. And that was Palace won one against Newcastle and Palace absolutely dominated this game. But uh, a goal rightly chalked off for offside late on. Um, but uh, Vieira a mastermind in one in in one respect because he's got Christian Benteke firing again. Yeah, he's I mean when Palace came to the Emirates, I mean we barely scraped a a point from that. They were really impressive and I have to say like you know when we when we previewed the season, we kind of pointed out that we liked Crystal Palace's business, but Vieira was going to be the question mark because he didn't necessarily set the world alight at at New York City FC or at Nice even. Um, but I mean, he's got this team kind of humming They're They're a little bit unlucky right now. I think four straight draws and then they face man city next. So <laughs> yikes. Um, but I like what crystal palace is doing. 
Um, the other, the other side, uh, our, our, our buddy Christian, um, his side wolves one, one against Leeds. super late penalty from Leeds denies, denies wolves the three points after, uh, he Chen Huang scores another goal for wolves and he's looking like a really good signing for them. Yeah, he's been really good. It's, I think it'll help Christian get over the fact that William Jose did nothing for Wolves and he's firing for Real Betis. So <laughs> um, sometimes it's just about fit. Um, Leeds have been off to a bit of a shocker. I will say the bright spot for them looks to be this Joel Gelhard child yeah. <laughs> who came on and was excellent. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought he would feature today against Arsenal in the Carabao Cup, but it uh, wasn't to be. But, yeah, apparently he... He ran Wolves ragged, um, but yeah. Um, the game that probably would have been the talk of the weekend had it not been for the the Liverpool United result was <laughs> Watford 5, Everton 2 at Goodison Park. Um, Watford scoring four goals in the last like 10 minutes or whatever. What was it? Yeah. Yeah. 78th minute. They scored from the 78th minute on, they scored four goals um, to come back and beat Everton 5 2 at Goodison. Yeah, that's in, that's insane. And I mean, what a nice way for Claudio Ranieri to start out because he did take that 5 0 like hoeing against Liverpool <laughs> when he first uh, joined up with Watford after they had sacked uh, Shisco Munoz. But yeah, this is a nice way to like actually, I guess, start off because I think they might have written off Liverpool um, as 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 a result was concerned. Um, yeah, Everton are a yikes. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, somehow they're still like eighth. Yeah, because <laughs> I just think that there's a lot of like bad teams in the Premier League, and they're one of them. Um, but yeah, I think their last win was Norwich, so <laughs> that tells you a lot. I think. Uh, <laughs> Southampton, uh, to Burnley too. not, not much to write home about. Um, but, uh, city, uh, beat Brighton for one. It's a, probably a really good result. Um, with, with, uh, city going to Brighton and, and winning pretty comfortably. Um, yeah. and not necessarily like the easiest game in terms of how it even, like played out, but city just were dominant, like offensively, um, just really, really put Brighton to the sword, um, and looking sharp again, West Ham beat Tottenham and, uh, questions still abound for, for Nuno's Tottenham, but (laughs) Moyes, David Moyes. I mean, is this, is this the David Moyes that we've been looking for? The David. The David Moyes. <laughs> he's got he's got the hammers. He's got the hammers fourth and only three pack three points back a city. Yeah, they're fourth, only three points back a city, and I think they're still in Europe too. So like they've been managing, fighting on all fronts pretty well. Um, this was a terrible game of football, but <laughs> fair play to West Ham. I mean, this is a London derby, and they're able to get one over uh, Spurs, which it's actually pretty big derby those fans do not like each other um so so good on them Mikel Antonio is incredible (laughs) he's better than Harry Kane right now um (laughs) you know Gareth Southgate time to time to think about that (laughs) (laughs) no Mikel Antonio actually plays for Jamaica now I think but yeah I uh, think he declared yeah yeah so yeah Spurs I 
Nuno, it just looks sad. Like, I feel bad for him almost. I mean, it's Spurs, so I laugh when they lose, obviously. But um, <laughs> it's I don't even know if it's necessarily his fault. I just think it's a bit of a poison chalice right now, as they say. It's a very demotivated squad, a somewhat sulky Harry Kane. I, I just don't know what what manager could could write that ship. I think they need to clean up a bit with that squad, honestly, and, and finally refresh. It's really wild that we're talking about like abject spurs and they're sixth, but that's like, <laughs> like I said, I think the table is <laughs> lying quite a bit. <laughs> there's like three good teams, four good teams and that's it. Well, speaking of the, uh, and well, I guess in the last result of the, of the weekend or the last, uh, main, yeah, the last result, Leicester city, um, eked out a win at the Brentford community stadium. Um, Brentford, uh, once again, like they're maybe the ultimate team in terms of like, <laughs> they could literally have, uh, like they haven't really had a bad performance yet this season, this Brentford team. Yeah. And it's weird because like they were good in the championship, but they got in through the playoffs. So I don't know. They just seem to have taken to the Premier League like a duck to water. And I guess that's a credit to Thomas Frank and and the fans and the new stadium. Like everything's just going well for them. Uh, you know, Leicester did get it over them. But still, I mean, that that was a previous Premier League champion. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in that result because otherwise they've been excellent. So. Yeah, and they, I mean, they've just made life very difficult for every single team this year. Um, right. Liverpool included. So any points that people are getting at the Brentford Community Stadium, like, are precious. Um, and, uh, sure. yeah, it's it's a good, definitely a good three points for Leicester, who have been kind of up and down, but they build on that United win with another win at, at Brentford. And James Madison scores a goal, which is, not insignificant because he hasn't really been doing much of that recently. <laughs> yeah, he's been kind of bad for like a year now. Maybe that maybe that's an exaggeration, but it's been a bit while he's been out of form. So yeah. Well, Mika, I think we'll take a quick break and then uh, come back. Uh, we'll we'll start in Italy and then uh, we'll we'll make our little trip around around the European continent. Sounds good. Welcome back to Hardcore Football, Mika. We we go to Serie A next. Um, the land of the land of managerial mess. Um, <laughs> yes, and the mess was on the mess was on full display. Inter one, Juve one. Um, Inter. I mean, I think the story of this game is like Inter were were pretty well in control of, of proceedings, but couldn't put Juve away. And were extremely unlucky to concede a late penalty. So you're saying it's unlucky. So do you think it was not a penalty on, uh, I think it was Dumfries. Dumfries. Yeah. Kicks out at, uh, Alexandro, I think. I really don't think it is, but so the contact is there. Like to for all to see, I think the reality of that challenge is that it doesn't really like yes, there's contact, but it doesn't really like impact 
what's happening in any sort of way. Like, I think it's the exact reason that the premier league has changed like their guidelines. It reminds me a lot of Welbeck's penalty that, that Brighton got against uh, Liverpool last season or was that last season? Yeah, I think it was last season, like right at the end of Liverpool's game against Brighton, Andy Robertson, like kicks the bottom of Welbeck's foot. And it doesn't really impact anything of like what's going on. But Welbeck gets kicked, feels it, goes down, and then like they go to VAR and they're like, well, he makes contact, so it's a penalty. And it's like, yeah, but it didn't really do anything. Like the contact didn't cause him to go down. The contact didn't really like cause him to not be able to field the ball or something like that. Like it doesn't impede his movement. Like, and so to me, this this penalty like falls into that category where it's like, yeah, there's contact, but like was it consequential in any way? Like, not really. Right. Yeah. It's to me, it's super harsh. Um, it's two players going for the ball and, and, and yes, Alexandro's, you can see on the replay, Alexandro's foot does move <laughs> because of the <laughs> freeze, but to get like a one XG shot at goal unopposed for that just seems completely unfair. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course we were going to make the, Oh, well it's Juventus. What do you expect? Or Calciopoli, like all this. And, <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's what's going on here, but it, that inter will feel hard done by for sure. Yeah. Um, arguably maybe they should have scored a couple more goals and not have been in this position, but, um, you know, these kind of games are going to be cagey and yeah, I think Juventus are winners of like four in a row now. So or you know before that so to not lose at the San Siro uh I think is a good result for this this side that's trying to kind of reinvent themselves a bit and and go back to basics under um uh, under under Max Allegri again and, and they're playing pretty bleak stuff but I think it's getting results so yeah yeah um that'll be annoying for Interisti worldwide for sure <laughs> Yeah, they've squeaked by um a lot of these a lot of these performances. Um but they've definitely over the last few games, like their last few league games, one nil over Torino, one nil over Roma, and then even in the Champions League, one nil over Zenit, like they're really one nil riding over Chelsea. The, yeah, right? Like yeah, they're really yeah. riding the that that line. Um <laughs> and yeah, uh, well, we weren't alone in thinking the penalty was harsh in that Simone, Simone and Zaghi gets sent off for, <laughs> for his remonstrations. And yeah. he was one of four managers in Serie A to receive red cards on Sunday. Yeah, so in the game that I thought was going to be more exciting than it was, um, AS Roma taking on Napoli, uh, both Jose Mourinho and Luciano Spalletti get sent to the stats. Um, apparently, one of them was like a misunderstanding. <laughs> the the ref thought he was like talking shit, but he wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> and I I don't know really what happened there. Like Luciano Spalletti got sent off right at the end. Jose, uh, I think Jose had two yellow cards. It was a second I mean, yellow. <laughs> yeah, he got a second yellow, which is like that's something only he can do i guess (laughs) um but we are seeing a little bit of that like dark side Mourinho come out he said just wait 
Yeah. And I think maybe it's here because they got thumped 6-1 by Bodo Glimt, <laughs> who you so aptly described as a Lord of the Rings character on yeah. TikTok. <laughs> Bodo um, Glimt is a, that, is a dwarf in The Hobbit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you cannot so, convince me otherwise. Yeah, so, you know, Mourinho's been spiky about that recently, saying his squad's, you know, I only have X number of players that I can play. Now you see why I don't rotate, blah, blah, blah. He said, so actually, to get a point from Napoli is not, like, the worst result in the world, no. I think. Oh, no. I mean, Napoli, this is Napoli's first drop points of the season. Like, right. they have not, they have won every single game up till now. Um, and a nil-nil against Napoli especially is is actually pretty impressive from Roma. I just think it's crazy that Mourinho has just gone ahead and like, <laughs> this is what we get for like talking positively about him. Cause <laughs> right. Like we're all on the, like, Oh my God, am I sympathizing with Mourinho? Is this happening? Like, are we on the Mourinho Roma like train right now? Mm. He has resorted to like third season Mourinho tactics already. <laughs> and all it took was like one rough game in the Europa Conference League, which like <laughs> I remember the days when Jose Mourinho was like, I don't belong in the Europa League. Right. Like that was his. Mm. I don't know why he didn't ju just take that tack. Right. Like, why not just say that, like, this competition is beneath me. And like, don't throw your don't throw your players under the bus. Just be an asshole about it. Like, just what, just be like we were trying to dip. Like, yeah, like I don't <laughs> want to be in this competition. Who cares? Like, I you yeah. know I think it was God. What, when was it? I want to say that it was a year that United got knocked out of the Europa League, and he was like, I, "Who cares about winning the Europa League anyways?" Like, like that sort of like who cares? <laughs> um, I just don't get. He's gone straight for the like alienating players approach and like it's just so early for that jose like it's 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 too early for that well and complaining about like the amount of players you have available to you i mean yeah maybe you can complain about quality or whatever but roma spent like 100 million euros so um yeah yikes <laughs> yeah that's but yeah it is a little early for that but we'll see <laughs> um there were like despite Serie A's like marquee matchups being pretty low key in that, you know, Roma Napoli ends nil nil inter, inter Juventus ends uh one, one um, the other sending off was also in a low key match. Like that's the crazy thing about this is all four sendings off are in like relatively chill matches. Like these weren't these insane goal fests or anything like that. Gasparini gets sent off for Atalanta they're leading one, one nil against Udinese and Gasparini gets sent off. And like one minute later, Udinese score in like the 94th minute of stoppage time. I, I swear to God, it was like Gasparini left the field and they immediately conceded. <laughs> yeah. 91st minute. He's off 94th. Beto scores. <laughs> For Udinese, yeah. Or Rodrigo um, de Paul less Udinese. Yes. Yeah, yeah. not insignificant. Um, but we've talked about Serie A being like the more chaotic league or one of the more chaotic leagues. Obviously, it had chaos because of the amount of managers that were sent to the stands. Um, 
the big marquee matchups were a little bit low key overall, but there were still some like pretty intense matches um, and a lot of goals across area. Uh, Torino beats Genoa three, two um, only, you know, notable just obviously for the, uh, the fact that Torino last season was not winning these sorts of matches. So, <laughs> right, um, right. that, that obviously stands out. Torino, unfortunately lo- lost to Milan today. Um, so a little bit of a setback, maybe not unexpected. Olivier Giroud, the goal scorer for, for Milan, um, your boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes um, they field him and Zlatan together, and I'm like, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sampdoria beat Spezia 2-1 uh, in a, a battle of the, the cellar dwellers, or not cellar dwellers, I should, that's super disrespectful to Empoli. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Empoli won 4-2 against Salernitana. Um, Sassuolo... 3-1 over Venezia, and this was like, this had an interesting moment in it, in that obviously Venezia is being watched closely by a lot of Americans because of the inclusion of Gianluca Busio, like, who's become a very prominent member of the squad. There's this weird moment at the beginning of the match where um, like, there's this really long injury stoppage, and um, I thought it was for Busio at first. Like, there's this collision, this like coming together, and Busio's down for like a really, really long time, and then carried on like playing. Huh. Okay. So he's all right. Yeah. Like everything I didn't get was to fine. See this one. So. It was really huh. strange. Like it was just this really weird moment where I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like, and I even tweeted about it. I'm like, "Oh, Gianluca Busio's like there was a collision and he stayed down." Like. And like the trainers came out and all this stuff and like he played on. So like, it was just really, it was intense. Like it was a weirdly long, um, stoppage. And this, this match was interesting only because like one, it was Venezia actually takes the lead through David Okareke, who's like playing extremely well for Venezia and is like adding to, the Nigerian attacking options that are just like absolutely feasting this year. Victor, Victor awesome. like the other one, um, right. Notably in Serie A, but, um, yeah, Okareke is like looking extremely good for a Venezia side that otherwise like kind of struggles for goals. Um, it was kind of a banger too, like curler. Um, and they're going to need him because they have they scored the least goals in, in the league, <laughs> including yeah. all the people below them in, in the relegation places. So, But the encouraging thing for me, like watching this game from a Sassuolo perspective, was that they did eventually like assert themselves. Mm. And they have been extremely like goal shy this this season. So to grab three goals, having only scored nine in the seal season up to this point, um, I think it just will do wonders, hopefully, for for uh, Sassuolo's confidence. And Domenico Berardi, basically just, a, a, you know, five minutes after Venezia take the lead, like scores a really good goal to get Sassuolo back in it. And from there, like they just they just really were able to um I mean, it, it wasn't as hard fought of a game for Sassuolo. Like they've really kind of had to grind out 
a few of these results and they're really struggling for goals. And so getting, getting a few goals against Venezia, probably, probably doing wonders for the confidence. Absolutely. Um, Milan beat Bologna four two. Uh, this one was kind of back and forth. Bologna had a man sent off. Z- Zlatan <laughs> technically had a brace. I mean, one of them was, a was for Bologna. Um, but he also <laughs> yeah. scores the, the fourth, for for Milan and Bologna actually <laughs> ended this one with nine. Um, they had a man sent off in the twentieth minute, and then uh, Roberto Soriano was sent off in the in the fifty eighth. So yeah, rough one for Bologna. Um, this is what Manchester United could have looked like against Liverpool, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, with competent officiating for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, like I said, Milan getting a, a result today. So, um, both they and Napoli are still undefeated. Yeah. So, Serie A's bags of fun. And then, really notably, on uh, on Sunday, Hellas Verona, who were kind of in that like Levante category of beating all of the big teams last year. Like they would always Mm. pull off these like spoiler type results while being like eighth. Um, (laughs) They played Lazio who had been in a really, you know, decent vein of form, like really perform performing quite well. Hells Verona comes in, beats them four one, four goals from, uh, from the, (laughs) the man himself, Giovanni Simeone. Yeah, Giovanni Simeone scores all four. And Hellas Verona scored like a lot of goals. <laughs> 4 1 to Lazio. They beat Spezia 4 0. They beat Roma 3 2. You know, played out a couple of thrilling draws against Genoa and Salernitana 3 3 and 2 2, respectively. So, like, if you're looking for entertainment, then Hellas Verona is the team for you. And Giovanni Simeone is a fascinating player because he's came through for Fiorentina. I think he was at Cagliari for a bit as well. Now he's at, at Hellas Verona and, and bagging the goals. I wonder if he becomes maybe another option for Argentina or if, you know, dad Diego wants to bring him to Atletico. Who knows? <laughs> he's he's his dad's spitting image too, which yeah. is always so interesting to watch him play because it's like you're watching Diego. Um, but yeah, incredible performance from from the younger Simeone. So... Um. So the uh, for Serie A, it leaves the table looking like AC, AC Milan is top now by three points because they played that extra game today where they got the win, um, followed by Napoli and Inter Milan, and then Roma a couple points behind Inter, uh, Atalanta, and then Juve have have climbed. They they are back up to six. So uh, maybe maybe relegation out of the question this year. Um, <laughs> think they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, the Milan, the Milan clubs and then Napoli up at the top at the moment. And that is looking like it's going to be the fight for probably the duration of the season. Roma, Roma still like if they can kind of write things, but it's really, it's really AC Milan and Napoli um, creating a little bit of a gap there. Yeah, for sure. And, and these are probably like my two favorite managers in Serie A in, in Stefano Pioli and, and Luciano Spalletti. I think they're both like have come in and, and fit their clubs like a glove. And so it's going to be really fun to see, of course, along with Inzaghi. Um, Serie A, like don't sleep on it this season. I think it'll be really fascinating. 
and a couple of really good matches uh, coming up this. I mean, there's matches tomorrow for anyone looking for something to watch midweek. Um, nothing super duper blockbuster, but a few, a handful of good matches tomorrow. And, and certainly if you're interested in the title race, um, Napoli plays Bologna and, uh, and um, Juve plays Sassuolo and Inter plays Empoli. Um, but this weekend we get Atalanta, Atalanta Lazio, um, decent, decent matchup there. Um, but we also get Roma versus Milan. So Jose Mourinho versus Pioli. Um, that'll be fun. <laughs> more sendings off in the cards, maybe. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a couple of, couple of good matchups coming up this weekend in Serie A. Do not sleep on it or sleep on it at your own peril. Um, what do you say? We, uh, we talk some La Liga now, Mika. Let's do it. So La Liga decided to take on the mantle of Serie A in that, like it wanted to, we had, we had been critical and you, you in particular on Twitter had been talking about the fact that La Liga was getting real defensive and was not as entertaining as it had been recently. And, like there are a few clubs in La Liga that took that personally this weekend. Yeah, they're finally starting to score some goals. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. I mean, we have to start with El Clasico, I think. I yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. It's this was the weirdest Clasico I I can recall. No Ramos, no Messi for the first time since 2004, I think. Wow. Um which is bizarre. Um <laughs> But, I mean, you know, I think, uh, the, you know, FC Barcelona were at home. Camp Nou was mostly full. I think, like, 85,000 people showed up. And, you know, that, that stadium seats, like, close to 100,000. So yeah. um, they tried to make a, a real atmosphere of it. Um, but they do fall <laughs> to Real Madrid 2-1. And, uh, honestly, like, I really feel like either team could have won it. Serginho Des missed a sitter. In the first 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't know why he tries to take this with his right. Probably could have just smashed it first time with his left. We know he can hit it with his left. He did it for the U.S. men's national team a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And scored a belter. So, Serginho will be having nightmares about that one. He does set up the con- consolation goal. But that's all it was, is consolation. And, and Madrid are able to to go you know back to Madrid with all three points. So, yeah. Advantage Carlo. He's not getting his car attacked outside the stadium like Ronald Koeman was. <laughs> oh my God. So it's not as, I mean, you never want to lose the Classico, obviously, but yeah. I, I don't think it was as bad as some are making it out to be for, for FC Barcelona, to be fair. Yeah, I I don't know. I think, like, the fact, the fact that Dest was employed, like, I mean, ostensibly, like, on the wing versus yeah. versus playing at right back like Mingeza plays at right back and and he starts up front <laughs> next to Ansu Fati <laughs> and and Memphis Depay like I think we know Des is is a competent finisher but I think he's more so a competent finisher when we think of him in the context of being a defender <laughs> and I don't <laughs> think of him as like being this you know like top level attacking talent um that is going to be playing on, you know, in a similar position to, you know, what, what Lionel Messi did, uh, in his time at, in the Blaugrana. So, um, 
Yeah, this is a this was a weird Classico for a number of reasons. I think like the thing that struck me even before a ball was kicked was the fact that El Clasico was being played at, you know, the midday or like mid afternoon time slot when that is a match that is played. I mean, we're talking Spain here. Like that match is not played before 9 p.m. Like <laughs> right. Prime right. time for them is like late at night. So we're like that match, it was actually bumped. Like they, Atleti, uh, Laurel, like kicked off in that, in that prime time kind of last match of the day, you know, big occasion time slot. So really strange to see El Clasico like played at, at this kind of like mid, midday thing. And then, um, yeah, the, I, I think just the place that both teams are in, like, Real Madrid are still in an extremely familiar place to where they were last year, where they continue to get results and their, their place in the table is, is good, but everybody's eye test of like every Real Madrid performance is like, eh, this is kind of not that good. <laughs> like it, they're right. not, they're not like, they're never stunning. Like I haven't seen a Real Madrid performance in maybe, I mean, it's been, probably a couple of years um, where I've left thinking like, Oh my God, this team like is just unbelievable. It just, they're just not. And I, some of it is down is actually like a credit to Barcelona. Cause I think they actually did a good job for the most part of limiting what Madrid were trying to do. And, but I'm just like, I'm always left a little underwhelmed by a team that, you know, ostensibly should be, like one of the top performing teams in Spain. I'm just always a little bit, I'm left a little bit wanting and they always ride this weird line of, you know, it takes a 94th minute goal from Lucas Vasquez to, to win this one um, ultimately. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. Madrid are just a really weird team. Barcelona. We know, you know, their, their weirdness is well documented where hmm. I think this is probably <laughs> in a weird way. Like, this is probably one of Barca's better performances this season, and yet they lost the Clasico, so it's like, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, I know. It's very odd. There was, they, both sides had a lot of chances. It's just Real Madrid were just more clinical, and, and David Alaba's strike for the opener is yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> um, you know, what a way to announce yourself in the Clasico. Um, but to be fair... I know it's late and it didn't mean anything, but Sergio Aguero, like, he looked lively. And yeah. he looked like the Aguero that we came to know over a decade at City is just automatic in the box, uh, latching on first time to, to Sergio Dust Cross. So, uh, you know, as, as Kun Aguero gets more fitness and, um, it, you know, features more, I think Barcelona, you know, that's another legitimate option for them if he could stay healthy. So, yeah. No, and I honestly for for Aguero, like for a player who who played for City, I do actually hope that Aguero gets like does enjoy some success at Barcelona because I think the way that he was treated at the end of his tenure at City was like extremely disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> so I just hope that he can enjoy some some level of success at at Barca because yeah, his whole exit from City just was so weird and like yeah, not what he deserved. Um, so, mm. 
I say that as a as a person who has no love, like no love loss for Aguero or or Manchester City. Um, <laughs> but um, the other the other big match, as I said, uh, in in La Liga, Atleti two, Real Sociedad two, uh, in the Wanda Metropolitano. Um, notable, obviously, because this is an Atleti fight back again. Um, and is this a, is this a little bit of a trend emerging for Atleti or is this, is this just them working through some like post title hangover? Like what's, what's your, what's your take on Atleti and, and why they seem to just be a little bit, I don't want to say porous. That makes it sound like they're, you know, just conceding for fun, but, um, they are falling behind in these games because they went 2-0 two, two down to Liverpool. They go 2-0 down um, to to Sociedad, uh, to La Real as well. Um, yeah. Is they, this they like could, a trend? It's it's looking a little bit weird for Atleti at times. They they aren't the best defense in, in La Liga. Sevilla actually have conceded less, so have Athletic Club. Um, and Sevilla actually are above them in the table right now. Um, two points ahead uh, with 20 to Atleti's 18. So, you know, just stuff to think about there. But Atleti, I know they like to suffer, but, I mean, you don't have to concede the first goal every time to do that. <laughs> it seems like they – not – I wouldn't ever say they're doing it on purpose, but it's like there is something to that where it seems like they won't, like, get it in gear until they absolutely have to, and then they kind of thrive on that. On yeah. that, like suffering and battling and having to to nick something, and and Luis Suarez, like, yes, he scores both goals, and he, you know he's clinical, and that's what you bought him for. But even so, I have questions about whether, again, whether there's enough goals in this Atleti side spread around, mm-hmm. and two, if Luis Suarez should even be starting because he's kind of like a, a nothingness, <laughs> like a. a you know, just a blob up there if he's not in the penalty box. He doesn't have the legs that he once did. Yeah. Uh, I think he's still plenty combative, but, you know, it's a fast-paced game nowadays, and I still, even with the two goals, I wonder if he should be starting, um, you know, every match. So, yeah, I mean, Lareal, I think they'll be disappointed that they weren't able to to hold on for all three points. It would have been a huge result for them. Even so, they're still top of the table, top of La Liga. Mm -hmm. They're playing... They're not, for me, like eye test wise, they're not as exciting as they were last season, but still it's effective. Emmanuel Aguasil is, you know, he goes to the Wanda and gets a result without Mikel Oriasabal, without a left back. Monreal was, is injured, I think. And, um, Aya Munoz was suspended, got a red card last time out. So, you know, without your best player and kind of like makeshift and kids here and there and, uh, you know, in different positions, Really impressive for them. Yeah. Um, had they gotten the three points, it would have just been even more so. So, yeah. It was a good match, though. And uh, we'll see. You know, Real, La Real did this last year, too, where they were kind of in the upper reach of the table and then quickly fell away. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. But always watch Real Sociedad. <laughs> yeah, always watch. And, like, yeah, they just they put on a show. And, and this, uh, this particular game, they just gave Atleti, like, they just gave them them problems for for mm-hmm. long periods of the game and made it really difficult for them. So, um, 
yeah, credit credit to La Real for for figuring out or you know get finding a way um, to get a result in the Wanda and and um, I definitely cannot recommend enough watching these marquee La Liga games um, if you live in the U.S. because watching on ESPN Plus you get Derek Ray as the commentator, mm-hmm. which Derek Ray uh, commentating any league is, I mean, he's, he's one of the best to do it. Like he's, he's one, of, he's just an absolutely yeah. fantastic commentator. And in this game, he had uh, Casey Keller as his, as his uh, color commentator who low key is like, I, I know we've talked about this before, like uh, on <laughs> in the group chat and stuff, but like, Loki, he's one of the best American, like color commentators. Uh, like his analysis is legit good. No, yeah, he's really good. There's some people that don't like him, and I, I think he's actually really good because he's very like measured and yeah. thoughtful, and it's not just like really like trite, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy Casey Keller's commentary. It's, I like it. <laughs> yeah, he was he was solid in this game too, and I just thought his, uh, yeah, his insights were actually really good. Um, I was extremely confused for a, for a period of time because <laughs> Derek Ray is so on point with his pronunciations. Right. But when he was pronouncing Gorosabel, who was playing left back, like in lieu of <laughs> Oyarthabel, <laughs> I was like, are you, wait, no, he's not playing. Like he's out. You're not like, it's You're not or like, but he was saying Gorosabel, but he was nailing it so hard that I was, I literally thought he was mispronouncing or, or like <laughs> <laughs> those vast names. They'll catch you out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, I goals for Sorlot and, and Isaac. And as he said, Suarez with the brace for, for Atleti, another case of like, I think they were a little bit lucky to get the penalty. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. I don't think it was as bad as, as no. Inter. No, uh, not nearly. But yeah. A little mm-hmm. bit lucky on that one. I think it was Mikel Marino who gives the penalty away and uh, who otherwise was actually really good. Um, right. So unfortunate for him because I don't think the contact was as consequential. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see why he's given it, I guess. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give them a decision to make, especially in Spain. Good God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just going around around the league uh, quickly. Osasuna and Granada played to a 1-1 draw. Um, Valencia and Mallorca, 2-2 in what was an absolutely chaotic (laughs) 99 minutes of football in which... (laughs) <laughs> Kang In Lee, former Valencia youth product, assists Angel Rodriguez for the opening goal, is like absolutely running the show out there. Mallorca are out to a 2-0 lead after four, you know, after 38 minutes. Second half starts. <laughs> Kang In Lee is sent off in the 55th minute, straight red. <laughs> I think and it was then, a second yellow. Or oh, it was a second yellow, yeah. Second yellow, <laughs> he's sent off in his return to the Mestaya. And then Valencia, leaving it as late as possible. Gonzalo, <laughs> Gonzalo Guedes, 93rd minute, scores the first. And Jose Gaia from, like, 
No Man's Land scores in the 98th and uh, just absolute scenes in which Rodrigo Battaglia is sent off in the 100th minute, like for his remonstrating after the uh, Gaia goal. So see, that's that's petty. Like y'all about to end the game anyway, and you sent him off. Like okay, <laughs> there'll still be hot water left after his shower. Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Just this is the type of thing that Valencia is capable of, though. In that, like, they absolutely they absolutely deserve something out of the game. Like performance wise, they weren't they weren't horrible but they get terrorized by a former youth product who's then sent off um, and then leave it just as late as possible before salvaging a point at home to the newly promoted side. Like this is Valencia football. Yeah. And they've completely embraced Jose Bono the last, apparently I was reading something that they waste the most time in La Liga. (laughs) (laughs) Shit house FC. Yeah. Oh man crazy um, these have them next so yeah <laughs> Alaves uh beat Cadiz uh 2-0 uh Espanol and Elche played to a 2-2 draw um that was at Elche as well um you've been asking for for months weeks for Villarreal to be brought down to earth to be humbled and athletic club to Villarreal won uh, at San Mames. San Mames. Yeah, and then they drew to Cadiz today, so just mudded. <laughs> I love to see it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and then we get into the, like, there are a handful of goal fests um, in, in La Liga. Well, really two main ones to speak of. Sevilla 5, Levante 3 in what is the least Sevilla scoreline of all time. <laughs> Yeah, Sevilla finally scoring some goals, five of them. And I'm worried about Levante. They've not won a single game, and they did sack their manager. And so where is the new manager bounce? <laughs> um, they, I was I'm told little, there would be a bounce. I, yeah, what the hell? They've <laughs> scored nine, conceded 18. So yeah. yikes. Down there with uh, Hitafe, who are uh, abject, and, and Granada, who are only have one win as well. Um yeah, a little bit worried about them, but Sevilla are good for third, so good for them. Also, like I know it was early; it was very early on in the season that it was talked about, but um, Rafa Mir, mm. four goals uh, in La Liga so far in eight appearances, not lighting the world on fire, but um, someone. <laughs> Someone was extremely critical in our mentions, I think, of uh, of the Rafa Mir signing when it happened um, for Sevilla. And he's been pretty good. Like, he's been okay. Yeah, actually, he's probably, honestly, I don't know why Atletico Madrid didn't go for him because he seems like an Atleti type of player, but Sevilla get him. And and also, I wonder why, like, Wolves never had any plan for him. I you know, I I didn't even know he was on their books yeah. <laughs> until he came back from his loan. So, yeah, he's been doing really well and kind of continuing from what he did at Huesca. So, yeah, four goals in eight matches, not bad at all. The, um, yeah, yeah, definitely troubling, troubling signs for Levante. Um, but 
a, a big, big win for Sevilla. And like you said, finally getting some goals. Uh, another, another big win and a dramatic, a dramatic game played out. Uh, your Real Betis side three, two uh, over Rio Vallecano in a matchup of two of like the most intrepid sides in La Liga this season. Yeah, I think I think Real Betis and Rayo are are dedicated to like entertaining, and I love it. <laughs> I'm glad at the end of the day that that Betis are able to get it over the line. Um, but yeah, this was a really good game, really entertaining. These are both two sides that if you want to see attacking football, definitely watch them. Um, Antonio Raiola is you know despite the loss has been doing bits with with Rayo, and it's just nice to see them back up in in La Liga and performing well. Yeah, Betis as well again like. They uh, <laughs> this game was really weird because Alex Moreno scores a goal and then passes back for them to score. And it's just like, <laughs> like he's such an aggravating player. But I mean, at the end of the day, he does, um, you know, help help get the win. Sergio Canales, of course, one of the most underrated players in the world for me, gets an assist on yeah. me. Rodri, William Jose, who did fuck all at, at wolves as we know gets another goal from the penalty spot so overall a, a good performance it's just if anything's gonna be Betis is undoing it's it's that defense but it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of um approach the valencia game because obviously it's two very different styles of play um and and we'll see who comes out on top Celta Vigo uh, got a 3-0 win over Hatafe as well. Hatafe's struggles just continue um the tailspin is yeah. well and truly in in effect. <laughs> yeah, and Celta needed that too because they were coming off two losses. So, um, and then yeah, a handful of games played today, and and another full match day for La Liga tomorrow. Um, Alaves won, beat Elche today. Espanyol and Athletic Club drew one one. Um, and Villarreal and Cadiz played to a three three draw. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was actually. Wow. Uh this time Villarreal had to had to turn on the uh the rescue. Um an Anthony Lozano hat trick for, for Cadiz uh in the for in that he completed in the fifty second minute. Um canceled out very late by a Bull Idea eightieth minute goal. We haven't hauled his name, I don't think, very often this Shout season. Bull idea. Um we we're trying to get him to West Ham, but right? uh, <laughs> And uh, Arno Danjuma, um, another goal for Villarreal, this time in the 95th minute to to rescue a point for <laughs> for yeah the vampiric uh, <laughs> the vampiric one himself. Um, <laughs> um, Games to watch out for uh, with in in La Liga coming up tomorrow. Rio Barcelona, Betis Ooh, Valencia, um, and unfortunately for Levante, trying to turn things around, they have Atleti uh, tomorrow, so not the easiest task. Um, well, now's a good time to start giant killing again, so. right? <laughs> And then uh, coming up this weekend, uh, just at a glance, Atleti Real Betis at the Wanda. Fuck. <laughs> uh, 
have a Basque Derby as well. Um, La Real versus Athletic Club. Oh, is that this weekend? Yeah, uh, oh, on I'm, Halloween. I'm that. Oh, that's fire. Okay. Yeah. So spooky season in Basque go. Country. Um, and then Valencia via, via Real on Saturday. That's that's pretty decent as well. Derby de la Comunitat, yeah. Yeah. So nice. a, a handful of of nice little nice little games in there for for La Liga. Um and uh table wise, as you said, La Real top. Um they've played ten though, and and the handful of teams beneath them have only played nine. They're on 21 points. Real Madrid, a point behind uh, with 20. Sevilla level with Real Madrid and then Atletico and Betis both on 18 along with Osasuna. So <laughs> the little Osasuna bit of, is like low key, really good. Yeah. Especially on the road. Yeah. Um, and another case of La Liga just being being absolutely super crazy close and like extremely yeah. like prone to extreme swings in that La Real top of the table on 21 points are separated from ninth place Barcelona by six points. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's just extreme. Yeah. La Liga always, I mean, you know, always watch, always watch La Liga. Always watch La Liga, man. Even though I think the, the goals are finally starting to, to come a little bit. So, yeah. So you're probably a little safer watching now, but that's where we stand <laughs> with La Liga now. And I think we'll wrap things up in, in France. In France. Let's do it. Marseille PSG. The, the, was the, the, the marquee matchup, um, of the weekend in, in France. And, uh, I mean, it's literally, the the french derby like in terms of like these are the giants uh <laughs> like classique yeah le classique this is el classico this is like french you know um a, a derby born out of competition rather than than proximity um mm. played to a nil nil draw and probably marseille were a little unlucky not to win this yes uh they had a couple goals i think chalked off or offside arkady schmilik i think he put it in the net once Mm -hmm. or twice um xg will tell you that psg had better chances but i think marseille had more of them so it felt like eye test wise and vibe wise definitely felt like marseille were the better side and of course when you're playing at the sad velotron like it's hard not to perform well for those fans. That is one of the most intimidating atmospheres in Europe, yeah. in the world, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you saw people with the riot shields protecting the corner flags <laughs> when <laughs> players would take corners, at, like, you know, making sure that Messi doesn't get uh, pelted with, with projectiles and stuff. Um, and actually, a fan did come out into the pitch and, like, almost slide tackle him. Can you imagine being the person that, like, injures Messi's left foot? Oh like god. you will be killed. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, no, it's played out to a nil no draw, and just more questions about this PSG side. I think that yeah. um, you know they're still top by quite a bit. I think they've got like seven, eight points over Lens, who are fucking second. Um, that's a still. whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it just it's it's weird. They also lost to Stade Rennes like earlier this month, and uh, just a weird one for PSG. What it's, do you think of this this front three that you know? It's so. It's just so hard, like because on paper I'm look like I look at it, and I just like you're staring at this lineup and you're thinking like, yes, this absolutely works. Like this makes sense. Messi and Neymar like have worked in the, in a side before. Like we have so much evidence to support that like this can be a functional attack. Yeah, and it just isn't in practice yet and i don't know if the variable that matters the most like i can't tell if like is eminem you know messi and bop <laughs> messi neymar and Mbappe, like is that attacking trio not msn messi suarez neymar like is the difference Having not having prime Suarez and having Mbappe instead, or is the difference having Mauricio Pochettino as a manager versus like Pep, or I guess at that point it was like Luis Enrique or whoever? Like, yeah, is that the difference? Like, is Pochettino actually the limiting factor, or is it the injection of this kind of mercurial, like? moody striker in Mbappe or is it is it Neymar's like grasp of the spotlight there's just so many like things yeah. that have changed since him him and Messi were thriving at Barca and just going crazy um yeah, uh, yeah. it's just really strange it's it's just a really strange thing because all of the pieces make sense in isolation and in practice in these games it's just like totally underwhelming for sure. And even at the Champions League, they've made it kind of like difficult for themselves where they're like leaving it late or, you know, scraping by, or um, getting, not dominating. <laughs> or getting beat in Belgium. Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think we have to nail our colors to any one particular mast about it. Like, I think there are a variety of things that could be contributing to this kind of like meh around <laughs> PSG. Um, you know, we spoke at the top of the show about can you really carry a striker that doesn't press? And, you know, I've seen people call this lazy, but I think there is something to the fact that the three of them don't press. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Like, we... And you see that when, when Marseille would go on the attack and the three of them are out of the picture for the most part. Um, and, and Neymar's form has kind of been not good. Yeah. Messi has no goal involvements in league. Obviously he's, he's contributed to the champions league, which arguably is what they bought him for. Right. Um, or what they got him for anyway. Right. And, um, you know, still adapting to a new league, still adapting to a new lifestyle and, you know, having left his boyhood club, let's be fair. Mbappe obviously has his head turned by Real Madrid. That's a matter of when, not if. So, you know, there's a lot of things here kind of working against Pochettino on top of the fact that maybe he isn't the right guy. You know, we've said before, he's a, he's a project manager. He likes young players. He likes improving young players. This is a team of superstars and finished <laughs> products yeah. that are supposed to win now. Right. Uh, and what has Pochettino won, really, to be honest? So, um, Ashraf Hakimi does get sent off in this one. 
Yeah. Uh, I feel like we have to point out, but um, yeah, it's just not clicking. And it's not to say that it never will. I mean, and if it does, it'll be devastating. Absolutely. Uh, these are some of the best players in the world, right? But yeah, it's it's been underwhelming. It's been odd. Um, and uh, yeah, the way it goes on for Messi's first goal in Liga, which is crazy. So weird. And I think like, yeah, I think maybe that's where the the like cognitive dissonance of this like really hits is <laughs> everybody was convinced like as soon as Messi signed and I mean, they had already signed up Hakimi. We like praised PSG's business over the summer. Like we were talking about the fact that this is like just on absolutely paper, yeah. crazy on paper. Yeah. And um, I think that's where it's most striking is the fact that everybody expected it to be devastating, like from the first kick. And it just hasn't been like it. It has been, it has looked like a team that is trying to work through and like work out how they're going to accomplish what they want. It's yeah. not this like FIFA thing that everybody kind of like envisioned <laughs> happening. Right. Right. Exactly. I do want to shout out Marseille though, and especially yeah. shout out William Saliba on loan from my beloved Arsenal man of the match performance from him after, you know, a tough night out against Lazio in Europe where yeah. Chiro Immobile was giving him the runaround. So for him to bounce back against this, this trident <laughs> yeah. um, or really the four, because Un- uh, Unhealthy Media was also involved yeah. and, and help Marseille keep the clean sheet. He was excellent. And of course, you know, look no further than that, that tackle on Mbappe late where he matches him for pace and, and sticks the boot in and it's clean as a whistle. Um, he is a physical specimen. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having him back at Arsenal. I think so much noise has been made around him and all the, the various loans. But, you know, when you see how he played against Lazio, yeah, you see there, that, that, that player is a work in progress and he bounced back nicely with this one. So I just wanted to shout out Willow real quick there. Yeah. No, I, the tackle is unbelievable. Um, <laughs> and the fact that the fact that he, yeah. Killing Mbappe over, over any sort of space is up there amongst like the fastest players on earth. Um, and the fact that the fact that Saliba, as he said, matches him and then slides in and just makes that, breathtaking tackle it's like <laughs> yeah that that is something special um and uh and certainly yeah otherwise like had had a very very solid performance um i think i think it was interesting what has struck me about marseille and like i don't want you know obviously i'm not watching like every single moment of every marseille game but i have been watching a decent amount of them this season And one of the things that's really striking is the amount of tactical tweaking that Sampaoli is doing. Like he is sending this team out in a different shape, like every single game. And in this one, like I was just commenting last week about how Ganduzi was enjoying, like really seemed to be really enjoying himself playing in front of two midfielders, like having this like level of protection from two defensive midfielders allowed him to have this like freer role and he's like able to get forward. 
Sampali actually uses him in a two next right. to Bubakar <laughs> Kamara this time around. And right. so it's just like this weird dynamic where he is like, he's, I think he's really like trying to play the matchups. Like Sampali really tries to set his team up, like um, rather than setting them up in one system that they play, you know, stubbornly the whole season, he really does like tweak ma- matchup to matchup. And I mean, to, to be fair, like it, it worked in large, like in large portions of this game. I think like some of the, some of those like little moments where Marseille, it's like, ah, uh, they haven't really like gotten all of the results that maybe you'd expect. I think some of that could be driven by this though. I think it's like a double-edged sword where, yeah, you might be catching the opponent out tactically or might be figuring something specific about, about the opponent, but that lack of consistency almost breeds a lack of consistency in your performances. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, the, this Marseille side is fascinating. And I mean, one thing too, that I want to point out about Marseille is Dimitri Payet. He's 34 years old and he is playing out of his skin, eight yeah. goal involvements in seven games. I mean, incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, West Ham fans plug your ears, obviously, but <laughs> he's, <laughs> He looks like he's in his prime and he's 34. Yeah. So, yeah. Going around around Ligo and um, quickly, uh, really remarkable result in San Etienne because um, they took on Angers and with just a couple of minutes left in the game, I was convinced that it was Claude Puel's last last game Um First as San Etienne manager, and uh, they pull out a 94th minute equalizer, salvage a point. Um, and I mean, he's hung in there like he the, that was enough. Like he hasn't he hasn't been fired yet. Um, but after the after the freaking game was delayed because San Etienne fans were like protesting against it. Yeah. <laughs> And yes. uh yeah, San still winless and after eleven matches and and on only five points rooted to the bottom of the table. Um just it's been a shocking beginning to the season for, for Claude Puel's side. Yeah. They no wins. Wow. And conceded twenty five. Not great. Nance and uh, Claremont played. Uh, Nance won two uh, one, and <laughs> this match was notice- notable because each team had a had a player sent off. Like <laughs> Claremont had a player sent off on the, in the thirtieth minute, and then in the thirty ninth, Seb- Sebastian Corcho was sent off for Nance. So it was ten v ten for like sixty minutes. <laughs> or for like, or for 50 minutes, I guess. Um, so yeah, it was like, I don't know, power play, whatever. Right. Like a 50 minute power play. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lille and, and, uh, breast play one, one to a one, one draw Lille. I mean, again, like Lille have just been pretty meh. Yeah. Um, Drew Sevilla in the champions league, but yeah, just wet. Yeah. Um, PSG next. Woo. <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, no, 
Nice, nice and Leon played one of the matches of the weekend, as we talked about at the top of the episode. It was supposed to be this like nice, slow kind of, you know, oh, I'm going to wake up and watch watch this 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 match, you know, a couple of good teams, but you know, we'll see if there are any fireworks and there absolutely were Christoph Gaultier, like absolute scenes at the final whistle too. He went absolutely ape shit. I fucking love Christoph Gaultier. <laughs> like <laughs> if Manchester United really wanted to be adventurous, they get him in. <sighs> That's a shout. The man I'm not the, saying it would work. I'm just saying if you want to like think outside the box and, yeah. and you know. If you want to yeah. guarantee that Andy Delore is in <laughs> is in Manchester United Red by the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> um no. This this match was remarkable because Leon like seemed like they were kind of coasting actually at 2 0. Um you know, 70th minute. Or well, 68th minute, Hosamawar like doubles the lead after a combi's opener. And then <laughs> I don't know what Gaultier said in the 80th minute. Um, but <laughs> Yusuf Fatal like scores in the 80th. Andy they get a pen, Andy Delort converts it in the 89th, and then Evan Gesson like scores a 92nd minute winner. Um, and so yeah, a 10 minute fight back. Um from or I guess twelve minutes technically, but a twelve minute fight back for Nice from two nil down to to three two up and yeah, just absolutely. And I think scenes. Leon had a man sent off during that time as well. They did. Um yeah, right yeah, before the penalty. Catavere. I just can't I don't know, I can't like fully trust any Peter Bosch side. Like <laughs> I just feel like there is always that chance of like You'll play some really exciting stuff, but you might also collapse. Like you've got, you've got a meme or two in you. You've got meme potential. Yes. <laughs> uh, Loss, who you mentioned earlier, who are in second, uh, made made light work of of Mace four um, one and uh, Chicago Fire legend uh, Frankowski scores another goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man that should have been the one that i tweeted when uh that tweet was going around of like name a random mls player oh shit <laughs> yeah i mean breck is like always the right answer though <laughs> fair <laughs> when it comes to random mls shit, the, the, yeah i put Sergio mcdonald who was a dutch striker who played for the fire for like 11 games um who was like a marquee <laughs> signing one year anyways um <laughs> enough about the fire uh <laughs> Twa beat beat Ross uh 2-1 which um yeah I mean City Football Group just can't stop scoring um <laughs> <laughs> uh Stav Rene beat Strasbourg 1-0 uh, Lorient and Bordeaux uh, drew one one, and then Monaco won three one against Montpellier. And uh, Nico Kovac has has Monaco playing some good stuff. Like they've they've been in pretty good form this year. Yeah, just quietly going about his work. I think they're like eighth, so respectable. Yeah, extreme like old school vibes too, because it's Falland, Ben Yedder, and and Gelson and Gelson Martins were the uh, were the goal scorers. So it was like the I don't know. It was like as much of an old guard for Monaco as can be like ever <laughs> expected. 
Right, Sevilla, Atletico, and Bayer Leverkusen cast-offs. Yeah, like. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so that uh, that leaves the table looking like PSG at the top, as he said, lost second, but, I mean, seven-point gap, still plenty. <laughs> like, mind the gap. It It is rather large. <laughs> nice in third, Marseille fourth, um, and... Uh, and yeah, a couple of a couple of big name teams just like chilling in mid table mediocrity. Lyon in ninth, Lille tenth, um, and then uh, propping up the bottom of the table as we said is Saint Etienne, and then Mace and and Brest, Bordeaux just outside of the of the drop zone. Um, as far as Lyon goes, this uh, there's actually a really nice matchup tomorrow at 3 p.m. for anyone looking to uh, or 3 p.m. Eastern time, I should say um, for anyone looking to dodge work at all. Um, <laughs> nice and Marseille uh, in Nice. So that that could be a very, very tasty midweek matchup. Um, Gaultier versus Sampaoli. Uh, for sure. So you gotta love that one. As you said, this weekend, PSG Lille on Friday. Um, a lot of Friday games for PSG. Are, are we noticing? Like, I feel like they play Fridays, like, kind of frequently. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Because they played Angers on a Friday as well, I think, yeah. recently. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, second place, Lens takes on Lyon. Um, so, you know, they take on mid-table Lyon. <laughs> what, a weird, <laughs> what a weird thing to say. Um, right. Nice Angers is actually a pretty decent decent game this weekend as well. Mm. Oh, I'm realizing why Nice and Marseille are playing the tomorrow. They're playing the the makeup game from the abandoned match when the supporters went fucking nuts like the oh, second right. game when of they, the like, season. Literally rioted, yeah. <laughs> and it is a derby, you know, Mediterranean derby. So. It is a yeah, that is a serious derby. one. Um, so yeah, some good, some good matchups for sure. Um, Nice Angers is one to watch because Angers, I really, I just like Angers attack. They didn't. Fulgini, what a player. Yeah. Fulgini is crazy. And, and (laughs) it, the, uh, the comeback as well of, uh, of, oh my God, why am I forgetting his name? Sophie on Buffal, like being Mm. revived after, not really fulfilling his potential at, at Southampton um, returning to France and, and balling out. So yeah, I I'm, I'm a fan of, of Angers and always cool to see a, a newly promoted side, you know, a la Brentford, like doing, doing bits and actually playing football, like rather than just coming up and like trying to survive. Right. Um, but yeah, so that um, that about does it. I mean, we didn't get to the Bundesliga, and I feel like I need to I need to throw out a marker here in that we will talk Bundesliga at some point. But like, it's just been like it's been too vanilla. Um, yeah, I I I will say we probably need to dedicate some time to Nagelsmann's Bayern because uh, he's got that he's got that team like. We're like, oh, will there be a drop off at all? And like, will he, you know, get get things going? And like, 
what about any of these changes to the side and, you know, will they adapt? Like the answer is yes. Like they've absolutely, they've, they're absolutely walking it at the moment. So, um, and yeah. they, they, they beat Hoffenheim this weekend, what four nil. So, um, we probably need to dedicate some time to Nagelsmann's Bayern because they are playing extremely well. Um, and, uh, For sure. yeah, and they'll probably continue and probably continue uh, to run away with it because, uh, Erling Haaland might be injured for like a year so, or till next year at least. Yeah, that would be, that'd be devastating for, well, I mean, for football in general, just for a talent like that to be out. Um, but for sure, but Dortmund do have a couple of, a couple of good pieces and, uh, a couple of bangers they scored this weekend too. Mm, yeah. Mass I mean, if anyone's going to, yeah, if anyone's <laughs> gonna push Bayern, it'll be them. But as we know, yeah. like they're just too strong. Yeah, Jude Bellingham scored a ridiculous goal as well. Um, that was nice. Yeah, that was like I'm trying to think of like the analogy of like an old. It felt very like it felt like a goal that was scored in the '90s. If that makes sense goal with heritage <laughs> yeah like uh like the he because he drags the ball like past a couple of people and then like finishes it with that chip kind of the opposite direction of his movement and everything like it felt very world cup 94 okay <laughs> nice <laughs> he's a special special player for yeah. sure. yeah no absolutely unbelievable and i i just my last plug before we move on to our our sounds of the season i i think Bellingham, even beyond what Sancho was in terms of like a commercial for an English player going abroad and really thriving, um, Bellingham has leaned so hard into the culture and has like embraced Dortmund so readily, like his celebrations against Leverkusen, like his willingness to just like face down the ultras. And he's always like kind of feeding off of that, that vibe with the crowd. I just absolutely love that aspect of Jude Bellingham. And I think it's going to serve him like so extremely well. Um, Like that ability to connect emotionally, (laughs) like with the club you're playing for and not just see it as this like stop along the way. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's just very cool. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, it also helps to be just otherworldly in terms of the talent you've been gifted with at 18 years old. But, um, but yeah, he's totally leaned in and he, you know, it, it looks like he just loves playing for Dortmund. So, um, it's a cool, uh, a cool aspect of things. But, Mika, we've got our uh, we got our sounds of the season to close things out. Uh, sounds of the season playlist. You guys can find it on Spotify. Um, you know, hardcore football. We've talked a lot of football. Well, now it's on to the hardcore part. It's our it's our music <laughs> that we <laughs> that we love. Um, so uh, so Mika, I mean, what are you thinking uh, this week in terms of additions to the playlist and uh, and what direction are you taking it? Yeah, so the first song that I've picked is a song called Body Bag by Hit The Lights. It's (laughs) just like classic, upbeat, pop punk. The lyrics, though, are so bleak and violent, but set to 
like a really happy tune. And so that's like my take on Manchester United Liverpool (laughs) (laughs) is like this was really bleak for one side and really happy and violent for another. So that's why I picked this one. (laughs) Um, And then there's a song called Holy Fuck by I Am The Avalanche. Um, (laughs) One of the, you know, one of the opening lines in this song is, holy fuck, things have changed. And so that's kind of what I, what I came to, what came to my mind when, when we got that question about Newcastle United, because, you know, it's going to change the face of the Premier League if, if they spend the way we think they will. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Holy fuck. Things are changing. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my additions this week, it was kind of in the, in a similar vein, but it, there were layers to a, a, one of my selections. So the, the first is, this is my intense, my intense entry, if you will. I think I feel like I've been trying to like, I've been trying to vary it in terms of like heaviness of what I'm adding, but um, <laughs> it's it's by a band called End, uh, which is a like as much as it can exist a super group of like different hardcore bands. Um, so it's the lead singer of Counterparts. Um, but it includes like members of like Rain Supreme, who are a really like old school Boston hardcore band, Shy Elude, uh, Shy Elude. Wow. uh, Fit for an Autopsy, which is like one of the original like deathcore bands. Um, <laughs> and they came together and just made this absurdly heavy like hardcore project, um, outside of their you know normal stuff and uh and their song probably their heaviest song is called necessary death which was to me like that was what manchester united experienced like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god like this is the type of shit you got to go through when you're in these like in these like tough eras or whatever like you have to like (laughs) whatever (laughs) <laughs> let the past die, kill it if you must, like that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, Necessary Death by End, just a super heavy song. And then uh, and then on the less heavy side, um, but still really, really cool, um, is a, a track by a band uh, called Heart to Heart. Um, and the, the track's called In Case You Haven't Noticed. And In Case You Haven't Noticed is it ends with the line... <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, I'm down on my luck. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm set to self-destruct. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> this band is this band is like pop punk, but if pop punk was written by a hardcore band, if that makes sense. Okay. So it's like it's got an edge to it, but it's but it is super catchy and like super, you know, it's just like really good, like upbeat, but like it still has that edge. So it's just a really cool, um, really cool track, high energy. Um, but to me, like, again, the situation with, with United, like down on your luck. And in this case, like set to self dedicated two songs to them. I love it. (laughs) I may, I may never shut the fuck up about this result. Like I'm I'm dead serious. I may never stop talking about it. It'd be like HXC number 75, like, by the way, like five nil. 
Like that's <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair <sighs> enough. Man. Well, um, yeah, if you're looking for that podcast or for that playlist as well, you can find it on Spotify just by searching sounds of the season. You can find last seasons, which would be Mark season one. Season two is on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you can also find the podcast on Spotify uh, along with all the major podcast platforms. And you can find us on, uh, on Twitter at HXC football. As I said, at the top of the show, um, is there anything else that I'm missing? No, I think that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully everyone enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll be talking to you guys sometime soon after another crazy weekend like this. Absolutely. Cool. Oh, I will say I'll be ordering more stickers. So keep an eye out on the Twitter feed for that. Yes. We'd like to just give them out. So yeah, mailing some out to the Roma supporters group in Tampa Bay this week. So shout out to them. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Dai <shout> Roma. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, keep an eye out for that. And we will. Uh, yeah. We will see you guys next time. Peace.